When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to your week six edition of the Fans First Sports Network College Football Feeds fourth quarter chaos podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini and I am joined from the city of brotherly love by the man who makes basically every college soccer game happen in the city of Philadelphia, Corey Cohen. Corey, how are you, man? I am great. Uh, Had a busy Saturday, but still found time to watch college football when and where I was able. And really excited to talk about these games. It was a pretty chaotic week. Yeah, we go into this weekend not really knowing if it's going to be as exciting as, as previous weekends. But there was a lot of really interesting games, a lot of games that I think told us a ton about what the the college football season is going to look like moving forward. Some of those unbeaten teams that I have said from the very beginning, you got to show me something. Didn't necessarily show me something. Texas falls. USC very well could have lost. And it's only a matter of time until their defense blows up in their face. But a very, very fun college football Saturday. I was running around, Corey, as you know, I went out of town on Sunday, so I am uh, a little bit behind in my college football watching. So I'm going to rely on you to kind of carry some of the weight of these bigger games. But how we do things here on the Fourth Quarter Chaos Podcast is, is we run through 10 of the most exciting, most important, most thrilling, most chaotic games of every college football weekend. We go through the individual details, the stats, and what exactly made them chaotic. And then afterwards, we give them a chaos rating between one and a hundred. And then at the end, we rate the entire weekend on its overall chaos rating. Last week was a kind of a surprising 531, Corey. That was the second best or second most chaotic. I don't know if how do you want to define best or not (laughs) um, week of the season behind only week one's 555. I, I think by virtue of some of the bigger games here, this might be one of our most chaotic weeks. How are you feeling before we start ranking things on the overall chaosness of week six? It was pretty darn chaotic. Not every game necessarily, but yeah, there are a couple games in there that I cannot wait to talk about because they were so 
bonkers that I think that's really going to juice the score a little bit. I'm curious if this can go for the crown. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the first game because the first game might be the most chaotic of all time in terms of like ending, like to the point where a quarter or a coach who otherwise has been doing fairly decent things at his school, I think immediately has to be on the hot seat. And we are, of course, talking about Georgia Tech's 23 to 20 victory over Miami. Mario Cristobal, what are you doing? Like, literally, what are you doing? It was an absolute disaster class for Mario Cristobal, the native son of Miami, who has returned home to his birthright. He's back at at the U, and he single-handedly loses his team the game and ruins their undefeated season. So let's jump right into this. This was a low-scoring affair. Miami had scored the first points of the game for either team, at the very end of the second quarter, going into halftime, they made a field goal in the final seconds, and it was 3 nothing at halftime. So this was ugly in the first half. Then we're going to fast forward to the fourth quarter. Georgia Tech punts it away with five minutes and change left. They're down 20-17. to 17. Miami, we'll see if they can run out the clock, just move the chains. And they do. They moved the chains three times. That offense, led by Tyler Van Dyke, did not have a good night, but they moved the chains three times on that final drive. And after the third chain move, they were in the position where they had effectively won the game. Miami was up three. They didn't have to run any more plays. They could have just gone into victory formation, taken the knee, run out the clock. That would have been it. The commentators on the ACC network were talking about this, that every coach, they've got cards. You don't even have to do the math in your head. You have all the scenarios laid out. You've got a million assistants all over the place telling you exactly what to do when. Everyone should have known that they didn't need to run plays, but they did. They ran it on first down. They ran it on second down. And on third down, they run it again. They give the ball to running back Donald Chaney Jr., The man fumbles it on third down. I I can't help but feel awful for him. They were showing pictures of him on the sideline. It's not his fault. He never should have been in that situation. The commentators were saying that on the game. This poor kid was just distraught. His teammates were consoling him. And everyone acknowledges that, again, he should have never been put in that situation. So, yes, he fumbles the ball, but it's not on him. It is on Mario Cristobal, the coach. So, Georgia Tech gets the ball back. And they're in their own field position. Miami, again, not only did they not need to run any plays, but they had moved the ball down the field. So Georgia Tech's not even close. They're not in Miami range. But in a 24-second span, Georgia Tech's quarterback, Haynes King, throws a 30-yard bomb and then a 44-yard bomb for a touchdown. That 44-yard pass for the touchdown unbelievable just wide open to find the touchdown Haynes King with a great pass Georgia Tech scores the touchdown with just two seconds left they go up 23 to 20 and that effectively ends the game absolute coaching malpractice for Mario Cristobal one of the most chaotic things because not a single person watching that game could understand why on earth they were running the football when they could have just taken a knee it makes no sense It's impossible to comprehend. I don't know how it happened, but Miami gave Georgia Tech the game because of the, frankly, the idiocy of Mario Cristobal. Like, I understand that fumbling in that situation is like 
a one in a thousand situation. Like it, it it's never going to happen except for when it does. The difference is even if that's like a one in a million chance, it's still one in a million and kneeling. The game is like, I don't know. Okay. Maybe you could potentially fumble on a <laughs> kneel. So it's one in a billion. Take the one in a billion chance, Mario. Like I understand that it's such a tiny percentage of opportunities that you could fumble, but we've seen it. We've seen it in college football. We've seen it in the NFL. And obviously we've seen it now in this Georgia tech Miami game. You cover the ACC for the action packed podcast here on the fans for sports network, college football feed. How does this, like, what does this mean for Miami? Like, they've had a great season so far this year. Beat Texas A&M, who we're going to talk about again here in a little bit. But, like, is this something that is, like, going to be a talking point for a week? Or is this something that plays into a larger narrative inside the Hurricane program and then essentially in the conference and then college football at large? It's a good question, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it definitely on the Action Pack podcast later this week on the FFSN College Football feed. I think for Miami as a team, this will be with them throughout the season. And a lot of that depends on what happens throughout the season because we still don't know exactly what Miami is. For all intents and purposes, Miami should be 5-0 and with – a solid, you know, a good win against Texas A&M and going into a couple really difficult matchups with North Carolina and Clemson. And we were going to find out, oh, are the Canes for real? Are they going to be perhaps the second best team in the ACC? Are they capable of beating the Tar Heels and the Tigers? And then later this season, they'll have Florida State and Miami. So that was going to be the question mark. And now with Miami, we still don't know if they're real, but if this team somehow does go on and beat North Carolina, beat Clemson, maybe beat Louisville, and they're in a position where they're in an ACC championship game against Florida State, or maybe they just miss out on an ACC championship game because of this loss to Georgia Tech, everyone is going to think back to that game that they had basically won and gave it away. And that's just for the team. For Mario Cristobal specifically, this will be with him for the rest of his days. He will never be able to live this down. For his sake, I hope he becomes a phenomenal coach at Miami and wins them national championships. And this is just something that they can, oh, remember that time that he blew a game and it doesn't affect them largely on a broad scale. But man, if if he does not work out at Miami, this will be looked at as the beginning of the end, not just for his stint at Miami, but it's going to be tough to justify hiring him after this, if his coaching career does not work out of Miami, I know it's one decision. Yeah, it's one. But game. man, he has put himself on thin ice with Miami fans, with Miami boosters. And it's just one of those things. It is now tattooed on people's brains. Anytime you think of Mario Cristobal, this will be the first thing people think of. So he's got to do everything he can to make sure that it's a conference championship or a national championship that they think of first. Because right now, this is the thing that people think of. It's just one game. So I don't want to like blow it out of proportion because it's one, it's one loss. It's just one loss. And, and again, if Miami loses to North Carolina to Clemson, right. then yeah, this season was gone anyway. This game doesn't really matter. And, and then conversely, because of how the ACC sets up its championship games, like they could still make the conference championship game with one loss. Like, so it's not like they're out of the, the ACC race. It's not like, uh, this will completely destroy their season. It certainly hurts it, um, it but it's. I, I don't think that it is necessarily a fireable offense for Mario Cristobal because I, as far as I know, from watching from afar, 
like I don't think he has a track record of horrible in-game coaching decisions, but it hurts. Like I mean, this one, if you're a Miami fan, like this hurts, like this one sucks and you have to be pissed about this game because there really is no explanation for how that game ended. So I, I, I don't want to blow it out of proportion and make this like he has to be gone and he shouldn't coach the next week, but like, you can't not be angry and have a really bad taste in your mouth about all things Mario Cristobal because of how this game ended. And again, it's going to take a lot for that taste of their mouths to go away because even though I'm in agreement with you, I don't think he should be fired on the spot. Overall, he's done a nice job at Miami in a short stint and he did a nice job before that at Oregon. But this is just an awful look for him. The optics are terrible. This is the sports equivalent of the mission accomplished banner behind him. Like this is just one of those things that's always going to stick with him. No matter what it's, he needs to do whatever possible to erase this from the memories. Because as you said, it's a taste in their mouths and the season's not done, but it gives them very little room for error. And it's going to be a, a tough turnaround for the remainder of this season and for the remainder of his coaching tenure to have people be able to forget this with success proven on the field. They've got North Carolina this coming week. Then they have Clemson the following week. Then they have Virginia, which should be fine, I guess, but I thought would have thought Georgia tech was fine. NC state will be an interesting matchup that they should win. But then mid November, they've got Florida state and Louisville in back-to-back weeks before wrapping up with Boston college who struggled against army. So, like, they have a couple games this week where if they go out and beat the Tar Heels and Clemson, like, I feel like you can put this to bed because it's like, okay, that's fine. They're okay. It's not that big a deal. But with the two games against the Seminoles and the Cardinals later in the season, too, like, even that, if they find a way to win one and and drop the other, two losses might be tough to get them into an ACC title game. So, it's... It's just bad. Like, it's all bad. Like Again, I don't want to make it like this is going to be the defining moment of his entire coaching career because I'm sure he's going to do wonderful things for the Hurricanes moving forward. But, oof, just oof. Yeah, so, it's, it's just if, if, if they lose one more game, and again, they play Florida State as well as the other yeah. tough teams you mentioned, UNC, Clemson, Louisville. If they lose just one more game, it's unlikely they'll be able to make it into the ACC championship game. They still could, but it's unlikely. And if that is the case, that they miss out because they have two ACC losses when they should just have one, ooh, ooh, that's, you're yeah. right. That's that's when it gets that's when it gets dicey. So, Corey, give me your chaos rating for this game. Well, it's rare that one play, that one decision can affect it so much. I know this this might be a little bit hyperbolic, but to me, this is one of the most chaotic things I've ever seen. And yep. for me, I'm going to give it the highest chaos rating of the season. I'm going to give it a 95. I think that one decision, absolutely baffling. Yeah, I think that's fair. I... I you mentioned the fact that like it was a low scoring game. Like Miami still struggled to score against Georgia tech in the first half. So it's not like it was smooth sailing for them the rest of the way. So I, I think 95 is, is very fair. And, and we can go with that leading off what could be a very, very interesting and chaotic uh, week for us here on the show. But all right, so let's go ahead and move out to the pack 12 and we're going to go with the game 
between everybody's favorite Colorado Buffaloes and the 0-4 Arizona State Sun Devils. Arizona State had not won all season. Colorado, obviously, we know, started really strong, very exciting, the toast of all of college football, and then came back down to earth when they had to play Oregon and USC. This game should not have been a, 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 a problem for, for Colorado. This is a game that they should have won, but the Sun Devils gave them everything that they could handle. There was never more than a seven-point differential in this game, sometimes in favor of Arizona State, sometimes in favor of, of Colorado. When you look at the game, though, to be quite honest with you, Corey, um, Trenton Borgay, the quarterback for Arizona State, really outplayed Shador Sanders. Uh, Borgay was 32 of 49 for 335 yards passing with one touchdown. Shador was just 26 of 42 for 239 and one touchdown. Really, uh, Elijah Badger, who was the leading receiver for Arizona State, he was almost, you know, other than Borgay, was the star of the game. He had 12 receptions on 16 targets for 134 yards receiving. And you think about that, you can be like, oh, okay, you know, 134 yards. He probably had one for like 50 or 60. But no, he had 12 receptions. The long was for 30 yards. He averaged 11 yards per reception. Um, a, a really, really impressive game from him. But where we start to get into the chaos happens I mean, really, at the end of the fourth quarter, there's 50 seconds left, and Borgay throws a touchdown pass to tie it at 24. Still plenty of time for Colorado to do something, and you look at that and you say, 50 seconds left, Shador Sanders, you might have left him a little bit too much time, and that he did. Because on the very first play of the ensuing drive, Sanders finds Giovanni Antonio for 43 yards to get the ball to the Arizona State 32. Then after a seven-yard gain to get the ball to the 25, there were two incompletions. And then Colorado brings out kicker Alejandro Mata, who connects on a 43-yarder with just 12 seconds left to, to, to ice that game. Another game where I think you expect Colorado probably to handle ASU more than they uh, than they actually did. But it was an exciting game. It was a back-and-forth game. Lots of, of, of points there where you have Arizona State score, then you have Colorado score, and then back-and-forth. Um, not as chaotic necessarily as, as the Georgia Tech-Miami game, but you have a, a game-tying touchdown with left, less than a minute left, and then you have a huge pass from Shador Sanders to get them essentially into field goal range, I mean, basically right away. Um, it was a fun game. It was an exciting game. Um, not necessarily two teams that are going to be in the conversation for a college football playoff or a Pac-12 title, but it was a fun game. And I've said from the beginning, uh, Corey, that basically any game you have Colorado in is chaotic just by virtue of it being Colorado. That has certainly waned a bit since early in the season when all of the attention of the college football world was on them. But it was a fun game, a, a certainly thrillifying final minute where both teams score. Um, but it was a fun one. Did you did you get to see much of this game? Yeah, I, I got to see highlights of it. I, I was not watching live. It it was definitely an exciting ending, as you said, the back and forth and Shador Sanders leading Colorado down the field at the end. It, it's just so interesting with Colorado, how their season 
the narrative has gone on a roller coaster. It went from, I can't believe it. They beat the, this team that reigning big 12 winners reigning, you know, they were just in the national championship and then they beat Nebraska Mm -hmm. and, and they're on top of the world and they got everyone coming out there. They struggle against Colorado state, but okay. That was a rivalry. And then the shine really just comes off against Oregon. They lose against USC, although that game actually became pretty close down the stretch. And now they're struggling against Arizona State, a team that got shut out against Fresno State and whose lone win this year is Southern Utah. So, oh, they do have. OK, it, I said they were one and four. They're, they're one and five, one and four. I, I apologize. about Yes. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, they do have the one win against Southern Utah. But uh, yeah, th- this is Colorado overall. They're about where they should be. But it's just funny how the expectations went from low to through the roof to somewhere in the middle. And and they've sort of evened out. It's been fascinating. I saw, you know, some people are still trying to figure that out. Shador Sanders was like pumped up. He was kind of jawing at the student section at Arizona State after the game. Uh, But, you know, you take the wins when you can get them. And uh, for Colorado, they, they've now got four. So overall, still pretty good. But uh, yeah, not not the prettiest game for the Buffaloes. Yeah, I mean, as awful as Colorado was last year, arguably one of, if not the worst teams in Power Five, this is good. This is a this is a good win. It's a good season. So um, by virtue of the fact that it was an entertaining game in the last minute, saw 10 points scored, including a an essential. It wasn't a walk off field goal, but it was an essentially a walk off field goal. I'm going to go with a with a 66 on this one, maybe a little high. But I, I think that the the dog and pony show around Colorado adds to all of the excitement for these games. So uh, I'm going to go with a fairly high 66 on this one. You had another one of the games, Corey, that was one of the talks of the entire weekend. It was the Red River rivalry. We've talked about the fact that like rivalry games just make things a little bit extra chaotic. And this one certainly was as the Sooners walk away with an upset 34 to 30 victory, giving Texas its first loss of the season. I'm not surprised. I, I just I this is what we've seen from from Texas. Everybody gets really excited. Texas is back. Number three in the country. Oops, we lost a game that we technically probably shouldn't have lost, although Oklahoma is having a very good season and is now essentially a top 10 team itself. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Oklahoma last year really struggled under first year head coach Brent Venables, and now they have bounced back in a major way. So this game was fun. As you said, rivalry game and uh, just a lot going into it. And it was played at the Texas State Fair. So the very first two drives of the game for the Longhorns both were interceptions thrown by Quinn Ewers, who's done a great job this season. And the first two drives of the game, he throws an interception. So it looked early, like this one can get out of hand. Texas is making mistakes. Oklahoma goes up early, and it looks like this could become a mess. But then Texas steps up in special teams. They block a punt and return it for a touchdown. So even without the offense doing anything, two drives, two interceptions, The special teams unit blocks a punt, returns it for a TD, and they tie the game. Uh, Fast forward to the fourth quarter. It's a back-and-forth game, close pretty much throughout. Texas hits a long field goal to go up three points, 30-27, to with a minute and 17 seconds left. Oklahoma gets the ball back. Quarterback Dylan Gabriel has a phenomenal drive to lead the Sooners down the field. Here are the plays. This is not every completion this is every single play 
Dylan Gabriel throws an 11-yard completion. Next play, a 16-yard completion. Next play, a 28-yard completion. Next play, pass interference called against Texas. Next play, Dylan Gabriel runs it for three yards. And then the next play throws a pass from the three-yard line for a touchdown. Oklahoma gets the TD at the final moments of the game. On that last pass, Dylan Gabriel looked like he was about to be swallowed up in the pocket. He is listed at five foot eleven. He seems shorter. The the pass rush from Texas Any, was there. Anybody just, anybody who is 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 listed at five eleven is really five nine at best. Like that's how these exactly. things work. So yes, yeah. absolutely. Sorry to interrupt, but like, no, can no, we no, can we right. have a conversation about like listings? Like, come on, people. Yeah, we we need a standardized metric here. But Dylan Gabriel, as you said, a generous five foot eleven. He was again just being swallowed in the pocket. He's got these giant linemen, offensive and defensive, all around him. He heaves this ball up from the pocket. Looks like he couldn't even see. I thought this might have even been an interception because he just heaves it up, and it's caught. It's caught by a freshman who makes his first reception of the game, and that was the Oklahoma touchdown to win the ball game. Uh, Just a a wild game, again, with these interceptions, with a blocked punt uh, touchdown, with – Texas going up and you think, oh, can the Longhorns hold on? And then Oklahoma just drives it down the field. Again, when I listed those plays, that wasn't just the completions. That was every single play. There were no incompletions. Every single play in that final drive uh, resulted in positive yardage for Oklahoma. Just an incredible rivalry, an incredible game. The Horns not quite back. I do still think that they're a very good team, but they're just not necessarily playoff level although who knows if tech if both of these teams win out and then texas beats oklahoma in the big 12 championship you never know so i think both of these two teams are in it because there's not really a third and fourth best team in the big 12 that's going to take either of these two out kansas and west virginia maybe but it really looks like these two are going to play each other again this season so what do you have on a chaos rating for this one Corey? chaos rating i'm gonna go for a 77. I think the block punt touchdown was pretty chaotic. The ending was wild. The the rivalry game, everything going into it. I, I'm going to go 77 for this one. Pretty chaotic. I did not get to watch this one because they were playing at the same time that Ohio State was playing. And I, I cover Ohio State, so I didn't really get to see it. But I just saw on Twitter that basically for the first, I guess, probably quarter and a half of that game, I'm estimating just based off of like timing where Ohio State was that like, it seemed like every play was bonkers. It seemed like everything that happened was insane. So certainly a very, very chaotic game happening at the Texas State Fair. So I think that's a a very fair, if not conservative score uh, to go with that one. So I like it. All right, let's head over to the SEC. And we mentioned Texas A&M earlier when it came to Miami. And they played a, a pretty fun game against Alabama. But the Crimson Tide ended up winning 26-20. to 20. Really, I think to me, the story of this game was the fact that Jalen Milrow, who has been a much embattled first time starter for the Tide, he had a great game. We'll get to his total stats, but he really thrived on deep bombs. He had a total of eight total plays that were 15 yards or more, but he had three that were 45 yards or more. He had a 45 yard completion to Jermaine Burton in, um, in, in the first quarter, 
Also in the first quarter, he had a 52-yard touchdown pass to Isaiah Bond. Then he had a 46-yard completion uh, to Burton again in the third quarter. So really was throwing, throwing the ball deep very, very well. He finished 21 of 33 for 321 yards, three touchdowns. He did have one INT. But Jermaine Burton had nine receptions for 197 yards and two scores. So a, a really, really impressive game from Jalen Milrow. But as we talk about some of the chaos stuff, um, th- there's a really fun play. I don't know. I mean, it was kind of chaotic happened in the second quarter and M punt returner, Anaya Smith muffed the punt at his own 33, but he had the presence of mind to pick it up. And then, I mean, almost immediately dodged to crimson tide uh, gunners there on the play and ended up, I think breaking like five tackles or at least five arm tackles on the play. He ended up picking up 46 yards and on the very next play, A&M quarterback, Max Johnson found his brother, Jake in the end zone, tight end Jake Johnson uh, in the end zone to tie the game at 10. Um, from there, A&M was up 17 to 10 in the third, but uh, Alabama got a pair of touchdowns, back-to-back to to go up 24-17. to And then, with six minutes left in regulation, a huge play that really changed the course of the game. Max Johnson was in the end zone and was sacked, but it appeared that he coughed up the ball and and kind of had a a strip sack fumble that was covered by Alabama for a touchdown, but it was actually ruled an incomplete pass. But it's an incomplete pass in the end zone, in the grasp, did not go very far because obviously they thought it could be a fumble. Uh, They ended up ruling it as an intentional grounding in the end zone. It's still two points, but those points end up being huge because that puts Alabama up nine. And then A&M actually got into the red zone fairly late in the fourth quarter, under three-ish minutes. Uh, They ended up having to settle for a field goal with like a little over two left because it was a two-score game. There was no point of like going for it on fourth down to get a touchdown. So had that not been a safety, had they not given up those two points, A&M could have had a chance to win the game. They ended up losing 26 to 20 because uh, unlike Mario Cristobal, you did not have to really run plays for Alabama. They did until they, you know, could get a few first downs and then kneel it out. But um, New York City streets out there uh, with the horns blaring. Um, but a fun game and an, ex- an entertaining game. I- I'm at the point now, Corey, where I don't think Alabama is very good, but I don't know who in the West is going to beat them. I mean, they're going to have to play LSU on November 4th. That game is always interesting, but. LSU doesn't look very good. So even if they lose that game, they could still potentially make the SEC championship game. But I really feel like this could be a year where maybe Alabama could upset Georgia in the SEC championship game and eliminate the SEC from contention uh, if if Georgia drops a game along the way. So it could be interesting. That could be super chaotic. For now, I don't know that this game was highly chaotic. It was a fun one, a good, uh, entertaining game with some fun plays. But I'll probably, I'll I'll just go, I'll stick to the median here and just say this is a 50-point chaos rating for me in this game, Corey. Right down the middle, I like it. Yeah, it's tricky with, with Bama. I mean, their record will be affected by playing two SEC East schools, Tennessee and Kentucky, that could give them some trouble. But yeah, the SEC West kind of down this year. I still think Alabama probably comes out and will play Georgia in the SEC championship. But I, I just, I'm, I'm still not exactly sure what to make of Bama. On one hand, I think that they're a, a very good team, and if you let them get on a roll, they could be dangerous. But on the other hand, I don't know. They, they do have some trouble with schools that they should probably be handling a little bit easier. But I, I like your score of fifty. 
Speaking of teams that should have been handled much easier, <laughs> let's go out to the Pac-12 after dark game. I was packing for my trip to fly out at like 6.30 a.m. on Sunday, so I was still up way later than I needed to be. So I had the USC and Arizona game on in the background. And as you'll talk about, but I just want to say like, by the time I went to bed, this game felt like Arizona could run away with it. They were up 17 nothing at one point. I think I think USC scored by the time I went to bed. But the Trojans end up winning end up winning 43 to 41 in what I imagine since I didn't see a ton of it had to be a fairly chaotic game, Corey. It was definitely chaotic. So, yeah, this is USC undefeated, hopes of making the playoff, maybe winning a national championship, and they're playing Arizona. And by the way, this is in LA. This is in Southern California. So this should not have been a problem. Arizona takes a 17 to nothing lead early on. I believe it was early in the second quarter. And everyone is just kind of, okay, well, waiting for USC to wake up. And to be fair, they did. It took them a little bit, but they did make their way back. USC took the lead. Then midway through the fourth quarter, Arizona ties it with a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So they tie the game midway through the fourth quarter. With just over two minutes left, Arizona has... A long field goal attempt to take the lead. They miss it. Not much you could do. I believe it was like a 50-yard, might have even been a little over 50-yard attempt. Then USC gets the ball back. Again, just a couple minutes left. Caleb Williams drives down the field all the way to the six-yard line. It was a great drive from Caleb Williams. Like a Heisman, what do they say, a Heisman moment. They always look for the Heisman moment, that drive late in the game when you lead your team down the field. He did it. He had a great drive, led his team down to the six-yard line with 30 seconds left. Okay, so you and I have talked about it on this feed, on this uh, fourth quarter chaos podcast. If you are Arizona, you think, oh, maybe you let USC score a touchdown and then you give your team time to run. Then if you're USC, you think the opposite. We don't want to score a touchdown. We want to drag this down to the final two seconds, call a timeout, kick a field goal, and win the game right there. Well, talk about head coaches with poor decision-making. Lincoln Riley is another one of them. He doesn't try to just let this one run out to two seconds and kick an easy field goal to win. He could have kneeled the ball or just centered it and kneeled it just to set things up, make it easy for his kicker. He didn't do that. They ran plays. With 19 seconds left, they fumble the ball. Now, they did recover it, but again, just a near disaster when they could have just been centering the ball, kneeling it, and waiting for this to go out. So even if, I don't know if Arizona, I, I don't think they were even trying to let them score, but but USC was trying to. Like, everyone was backwards. I was thinking when I was watching it live because I stay up crazy late and I was watching this one all the way through and I'm watching this I'm thinking okay Arizona's got to let them score and then but if you're USC you do anything you can to not try to score and instead it was the opposite USC seemed like they were trying to score but Arizona didn't want them to it made no sense again they fumble it with 19 seconds left they recover it so then in the final moments they have what should have been a chip shot field goal to win the game it was a 25 yard attempt USC just has to hit this, and they win. But the snap was high. The snap was so high that the uh, that the, uh, the the placer couldn't get it down. The kick was blocked. 
there wasn't even a chance really to get it off. The kick was blocked by Arizona and this game goes into overtime because that's the final play of regulation. So into overtime, USC scores the touchdown first. Arizona on the very first play of their offensive possession in overtime scores a touchdown. It's a touchdown pass. Great pass. It was an excellent game uh, from the Arizona quarterback, Noah Fafita. So on the very first play, they equal USC and they just need an extra point to win it. And people are starting to wonder, should they go for two? Should they just knock USC right out here? They just had one play and they scored a touchdown from 25 yards. You're now from two yards. Why not just go for it and try to steal this victory? But they don't. They kick the extra point. They tie the game. They go into double overtime. Again, if it's me, I would have gone for the kill. Yeah, you go for the kill. You're on the road. You're playing with house money. You just got to go for the win. They don't do it. They play conservatively. They go into double overtime. Arizona scores on the touchdown. They miss the two-point conversion. USC gets the ball. They score on the touchdown. They miss the conversion. So it goes into third overtime. And with the new rules, starting in triple overtime, it is just a two-point conversion shootout. No more touchdowns. It's just back and forth from the two-yard line. USC scores. Arizona, again, just one play. And Fafita gets sacked on the final play. USC's defense for the first time, all game, steps up, makes a big play, and the Trojans escape with a win. But, man, this game was wild. It was chaotic. It took three overtimes. There was a block kick because of a high snap. There was a near disaster from Lincoln Riley in terms of kneeling. There was one moment where USC players tried to push the Arizona punt returner into the ball to try to force a fumble. It was wild. They were like kidnapping him trying to run him into the ball just a bonkers game that went till like 2 a.m i think Uh, that was probably pretty close to when i was waking up actually for my flight um so lincoln riley bad in-game decisions with not kneeling or centering the ball also horrible coaching decisions why alex grinch is still employed at usc especially coming over from oregon he knew what he was at like at oregon and he still has a job so Corey, give me your chaos rating for this game This one's going to be high. I will go with the same score that I just, that we gave in week one to Colorado TCU. I'm going to go for a 92 because to me, this game was absolutely chaotic. And by the way, total agreement with you. USC has no defense and it's completely unsustainable. I think that's very fair. Very fair. Like I said, I, I saw the highlights, did not see the game because I was sleeping. Uh, but this seems, uh, very much warranted. All right, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to stick out in, in the Pac-12 and go with UCLA and Washington State. Washington State has been kind of one of my darling teams of the season. One, because they're one of the two teams that are just kind of being left for dead from the Pac-12. Uh, but also, Cameron Ward, I think, has had a really, really good season coming into week six. Kind of a dark horse Heisman Trophy contender. That probably ends this week, at least for the time being. He has plenty of time to kind of resuscitate it, but he is not necessarily at the front of my mind for the Heisman Trophy now because UCLA beat Washington State 25 to 17. And what is especially chaotic about this game is that there were six turnovers, four of them from Wazoo, two of them were interceptions from Cameron Ward. Ward was 19 of 39 for 197 yards passing and one touchdown to go along with those two income or those two interceptions. <laughs> uh, Washington's total ground game was 19 attempts for 12 yards. Now, 
there were 13 or sorry, there were 12 yards of those that were on sacks toward. But even without that, they were 12 carries for 24 yards. So they were averaging non-sack or uh, they were averaging sack adjusted two yards per carry in this game. They actually took a 17 to 12 lead into the fourth quarter, but UCLA ended up picking up 13 points and Chip Kelly's team walks out with a 25 to 17 win. Uh, I mean, I guess go big 10 because UCLA will be in the conference that I follow coming up here very soon, but two of 13 on third downs, not great for Wazoo. 12 rushing yards total, not great for Wazoo. Four total turnovers, not great for Wazoo. Just a really, really poor game um, from a team that I was kind of really pulling for out in the Pac-12, Corey. So this one will go a long way to kind of deciding who's going to walk out of that. That's kind of eliminates one more contender from that that title race for now. Although, again, because they do the thing where there's no divisions and you can maybe sneak in there with two losses, but... Uh, I think this game was more telling because Washington State was already a team that was like on the outside, just kind of hoping to get some, you know, kind of sneak in there. So I think this is probably a loss that they could not sustain, especially with some pretty tough games coming up later in the season. So not the most chaotic, but six turnovers, very chaotic. So I'm going to go with a um, with a 42 on this one and um, just hope for better things for Wazoo moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a solid score. Definitely uh, rooting this year for Washington State and Oregon State. And they're just sort of in that hodgepodge right behind the front runners in the Pac-12, Oregon, Washington, USC. And they're in that hodgepodge, the two of them with Utah and UCLA in, in this group that like they can beat anyone, but they could also maybe lose, lose to anybody. anyone like they're yeah. good. Yeah, so it's 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 a solid hodgepodge there in the middle of the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to the SEC and tell me about LSU and Mizzou, because I did not see much or any of this game, because I think this one was also on. Was this a noon game as well? Uh, mm-hmm. OK, so I, I'm not 100 percent sure what the time was, but I, I did not yeah. see much of this one at all. Yeah, this this was when your Buckeyes were playing. So, yeah, LSU versus Missouri, the battle of the SEC Tigers. And uh, yeah, this was an interesting game. It was an offensive shootout again. LSU second week in a row where their offense is excellent. Uh, Jaden Daniels having another really good day at the quarterback position, 259 yards, three touchdowns. And LSU looking to be probably the best offense in the SEC. Again, pretty wild considering what we think about LSU, although, of course, Joe Burrow in that one season sort of turned everything around, and they're starting to look like that year's offense. But uh, the defense, not so much. So this was a shootout Um, early on. The very first score of the game, Missouri gets a touchdown and they go for two, which was interesting. Uh, So I think that just sort of set the table for a fairly chaotic game. Uh, Then uh, again, fast forwarding to the fourth quarter, Mizzou is down by three with under two minutes left. Uh, Missouri's quarterback, Brady Cook, fumbles it but recovers. But again, near disaster there. Nothing came of that drive. They punted away. LSU gets the ball back, and they end up having to punt it away. So now Missouri has the ball back just under a minute left. They're pinned up against their own end zone. So there's a chance here they would have to drive it all the way down the field. But, again, this is just a three-point game, so they only need to get into field goal range. But almost instantly, Missouri quarterback Brady Cook throws an interception that is returned for a touchdown. It's a pick six. 
his second interception of the game and LSU, a team that was that struggled throughout this game and it was close against Missouri. They end up winning 49 to 39. It was not as comfortable as that scoreline makes it seem. This was a close game throughout. Again, Missouri had a chance on that final drive, but it was a pick six. But th- that second half especially was back and forth excitement. The scoring in the second half, uh, at halftime, Missouri was leading. Into the second half, LSU takes a lead, then Missouri takes a lead, then LSU takes a lead, then Missouri takes a lead, and then LSU takes a lead, which they ended up solidifying with that pick six at the end. So just back and forth in the second half, lots of scoring, a defensive touchdown. There were also some weird things from the refs. There was a a Missouri touchdown where there was clearly a false start that the refs didn't call. So Missouri, they might have gotten a touchdown anyway, but certainly on that touchdown run, the refs missed a an obvious false start. Then at one point, LSU ran the now patented tush push at the goal line for a touchdown. Jaden Daniels clearly got into the end zone, but the refs did not call it a touchdown. Now, LSU still did score on that drive, so there it didn't affect the game necessarily, but just some odd ref calls in that game. So fairly chaotic in that one. Uh, just a, a very interesting game between the, the Tiger, two of the Tigers in the SEC. All right, so what do you have as your chaos rating? I'm going to go with a solid 64 for this one. All right. Uh, Let's go out uh, for the first time outside of the Power 5 conferences, and let's talk about a couple of G5 teams, one of them who was ranked coming into this game and one of them who I think should be ranked moving forward on everybody's ballot. The team that was ranked was the number 25 Fresno State Bulldogs. They were taking on the Wyoming Cowboys. Wyoming ended up winning this game by a score of 24 to 20, but it got it got a little tenuous there at the end with about eight minutes and 31 seconds, eight and a half minutes left in the game. Wyoming was up 24 10. You feel like, okay, this is comfortable. We're in good shape here. Fresno State kicks a field goal, cuts the lead to 24 to 13. It's 11 points. Still fine. You're getting the ball back if you're Wyoming, but you're not because on the ensuing kickoff, Fresno State recovers an onside kick and kind of catches everybody by surprise. There's still, you know, eight, eight and a half minutes left. You don't think that that's necessary at this point, but they took the gamble and it paid off. On that drive, they ended up scoring a touchdown to cut the lead to 24 to 19. They tried to go for the two-point conversion, which would have made it just a three-point game. They failed. So it is still a five-point game. Field goal does them no good unless they have multiple possessions. Wyoming ran the ball really well on their ensuing drive. They ran about three and a half minutes off of the clock, but With 153 remaining, they kicked a 47-yard field goal that doinked off of the upright. So that leaves the game at 24-19, just under two minutes left. So Fresno State has a chance to pull off the comeback. They're driving, but with 46 seconds left, Fresno State throws a pass. It is deflected by Wyoming defensive lineman Cole Godbo, and he returns it for about 23 yards, essentially ending the game. Corey, I don't know about you, but I love a big man interception. There was no touchdown here, but seeing a big man rumble with the ball the opposite way is always exciting and fun for me. So no chaotic ending in terms of like him getting the the pick six where he knocks over 20 guys as he bumbles his way down the field. But to end the game essentially on a big man interception is is very fun and exciting for me. I was watching the ending of that one live, and yeah, that was thrilling. I was actually rooting for Fresno State because I wanted to see 
them pull off an undefeated season. I thought that would have been really exciting. Wyoming yeah. had already lost at Texas. So I was rooting for Fresno State. and uh, But even rooting for them, still seeing the big man interception and return was very fun. I was rooting for him to get into the end zone. Didn't quite happen, but still an exciting way to effectively seal the game uh, for the Pokes and for Wyoming to get that massive win. Yeah. Um, because of the onside kick, because of the big man interception, I'm going to go with a 48 here. Nothing spectacular, but a fun, good G5 game. And I think we don't give enough credit for G5 games being super entertaining because they're not necessarily the ones that impact the college football playoff. But if you watch G5 football, like that's usually some actually more exciting games in a lot of cases uh, than if you just stick to like the mid-level power fives. So, and those two teams are legit. I mean, Wyoming, again, their only losses to Texas, they beat a power five team in Texas tech Fresno state beat two in Purdue and Arizona state. They clobbered the Sun Devils. I mean, those are two really good teams out there in the Mountain West. Absolutely. All right, let's go with your final game of the day. And this is in your ACC, Notre Dame and Louisville. Yes, so uh, Notre Dame-Louisville, this was an interesting one. Not the most chaotic necessarily, but I think it it was pretty entertaining in that if you have certain feelings about Notre Dame, seeing them falter and their season effectively end was kind of fun. And Louisville, I mean, they, there were some backbreaking plays. There was a run from Cardinals running back Jawar Jordan, a great touchdown run where the Irish just could not tackle him. They, they struggled defensively in that game. That was a run in the fourth quarter. Louisville scored a touchdown on the run from Jawar Jordan to put the Cardinals up 11 points. Uh, then at one point, Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, they're down 27 to 13. And they get the ball back. It's now desperation time. Notre Dame needs two scores. They've got to get things going quickly. On the very first play of the drive, Sam Hartman throws a an interception. And so that effectively ended things. Uh, on the next drive, Notre Dame gets the ball back. Again, at this point, it's effectively over. But they need something. And Sam Hartman was strip-sacked. So overall, a rough day for the Irish. Sam Hartman, a brutal day for him. He had... Three interceptions that he threw and two sack, uh, two sack, uh, two fumbles that he allowed. Just a day to forget for Sam Hartman for the Irish. Huge day for Louisville. Maybe the best result for their football team in years. Jeff Brom's doing an incredible job down there. Uh, Jawar Jordan, the running back, ran for 143 yards, two touchdowns. The Cardinals. Again, essentially eliminate Notre Dame, who now have two losses, one to your Buckeyes, one to Louisville. And for the Cardinals, they are now 6-0. and They are already bowl eligible. And amazingly, they are 3-0 and in the ACC. So this is a, a squad that went from, yeah, we kind of thought they would be in the mid to low tier of the ACC this season. And what a turnaround. They, they have an outside chance because of how easy their schedule it is to make the ACC championship game. So it's going to be uh, pretty fascinating to see what Louisville could do this year, but they don't have to play North Carolina. They don't have to play Florida State. They don't have to play Clemson. So the only ranked opponents wow. on their schedule are Duke and Miami and uh, in, in conference. They will play Kentucky to close out the year, but that doesn't matter for the ACC standings. They just have to be Duke and Kentucky, and they're in the ACC championship game. So it is realistic that Louisville could play against Florida State 
And uh, for, for the first time this season, they really did prove it themselves to me with that win against Notre Dame. Yeah, putting up that many points is is pretty impressive against that Notre Dame defense. Obviously, all the turnovers you talked about certainly helps. Getting five turnovers certainly helps. But uh, all right, Corey, so what is your uh, chaos rating for this one? The game had, as you said, those turnovers. Sam Hartman had a brutal day. Notre Dame season effectively being over. Louisville sort of bursting onto the scene. I'll go with a 52. I'd say like a little bit better, a little bit more chaotic than average. Okay. All right. The last one I'm going to go with uh, is Nebraska and Illinois. Not the most exciting game, but it is chaotic when you can have two touchdowns scored within 10 seconds of each other by the same team. With 647 left, uh, Nebraska running back Anthony Grant just plunges in from one yard out. Easy no no doubt play that's a very simple common play especially from from a nebraska team however up 10 nothing nebraska says why not and they went for the onside kick brian buscini recovered it and it was really just kind of a a an impressive play and then on the very next play quarterback heinrich harburg takes a quarterback power right up the middle to score a touchdown so nebraska goes from being up three nothing to being up 17-0 in the course of 10 seconds of gameplay. So not a super chaotic game. It's Nebraska and Illinois, whoopee. But uh, a, th- a certainly thrilling 10 seconds of action for the Huskers. So not the most chaotic game in, in, of, of the season, but I will go with a, uh, let's go with a 22 uh on the uh on the chaos rating just because it was such a small fraction of the game but a thrilling and and, an exciting fraction of the game nonetheless all right Corey. so that is the last game on our schedule this week if you've been scoring at home you know that this is by far the most chaotic week of our season because we have a chaos rating of 608 which is 53 more points than week one again not exactly scientific because our whims change and our scoring is very subjective on a week to week basis. But I think, I think this will hold up because of the Arizona USC game, the Georgia tech and Miami game, like having two games in the nineties is really, really difficult. And then you throw in that Oklahoma and Texas game. So very chaotic. I I feel good about that score, Corey. I do too. This definitely felt like the most chaotic week of the season so far. Again, largely because of the two things that everyone was talking about. USC having to go to triple overtime against Arizona and then Mario Cristobal's decision to not kneel the ball in Georgia Tech winning that game. And then, as you said, these other good games. The Red River rivalry was fun. Obviously, Dion was always in play. LSU-Missouri was fun. So definitely some good games spread around. But those two leading the way, I definitely agree that uh, – just with the eye test, this was the most chaotic season. I like that our score reflects that. Absolutely. All right. Not a uh, not a ton of ranked-on-ranked games next week, but the Big Ten is going to bring you one as number eight Oregon visits number seven Washington on ABC at 3.30. So I think that one will be fun. I don't know if it'll be super chaotic, Corey, but uh, give me one game that you think is going to be especially chaotic in week seven. I'm leaning toward that, but outside of that, because that game, I mean, definitely, as you said, game of the week, I do think it could be pretty chaotic because both offenses are high powered. Michael Penix and Bo Nix, that's going to be thrilling. So I think that game will be the most chaotic. But if you give me a second option, mm, 
I, I kind of think USC Notre Dame, that's going to be a huge game for the Irish coming off their second loss. They're going to have a lot to prove to themselves, even though they're essentially out of the playoff conversation. USC just barely escaped against Arizona. Again, a rivalry game between those two schools. I think that's going to be pretty chaotic. So I'll go USC Notre Dame at night. Sounds good to me. everybody thanks for listening and recapping week six of the college football season with us here on the fourth quarter chaos podcast if you are finding us somehow and you are not already subscribed to the fans first college football feed please make sure that you do so on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever get you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness if you want to follow us on social media you can find us at fans first sn you can follow me at bww matt and you can find Corey on Twitter or X or whatever at Corey E. Cohen, or if not, find him at Corey Cohen on your platform of choice. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Have a good week. We will talk to you next weekend. And don't forget to embrace the chaos.